Hello, and welcome back to your favorite science communication podcast, aka In the Spotlight. My name is Emily Schaefer, and I am the host of the show. Thank you for joining us again for another episode that features a grad student or postdoc in the sciences about their work and how it relates to the world around us. Today, our guest in biology will be talking a little bit about his research, but we're going to do something also a little different from our usual episodes and focus a bit more on current events and those ties rather than just the research itself. And I hope by doing that, we'll be able to discuss some more timely topics about science and the world, maybe specifically the COVID-19 pandemic. So joining me today for this episode is Nicholas Scruton Alvarado. Nicholas is a second year PhD student in neurobiology at Northwestern. So welcome, Nicholas. Hey, thanks for having me. Very excited. First off, everyone has to answer this question. What inspired you to become a scientist? Yeah, I mean, you could say that kind of my my interest in science is kind of started really, really young. I was always that kid that carried dinosaurs around and was always interested in, in the life sciences and, and kind of why things happened and, and why things were the way they, they are. But my, my kind of my love for research cemented itself in, a, in my undergraduate degree in which just kind of I joined a lab quite early on and just fell in love with, um, with collecting data and, and, and finding patterns and discovering new things. And I know you're in neurobiology now. How did you get drawn to neurobiology specifically? One thing that always fascinated me was the intersection between kind of environment and, uh, and, and your biology, um, kind of the old nurture versus nature debate. So I'm specifically focused on, on kind of the, the field that deals with that interaction directly is, is a field called epigenetics, which essentially just looks at how your environment and things that happen around you alter your genes directly. The things that I'm really interested in is, is how the environment alters your behavior uh, and specifically how it does it uh, kind of on a molecular level. So, you know, what what changes in your brain when you learn? What changes in your brain when you, you know, when you have a memory, when you're thinking, when you learn a language, when you, when it functions and when it develops. Very cool. This is this is reminding me a lot. If if any of you listening have listened to our episode with Chiaki Santiago, she she does kind of similar stuff where she has this like really big interest in learning and memory because it's this really fascinating field and I remember her talking about like the different molecules that are at play so are there specific molecules or proteins you're studying when when you're looking at learning and memory yeah absolutely so my research primarily deals in in how your genes are expressed um so as you know kind of your dna is this massive molecule I think the length is something of uh, pardon for Americans I'm European um is about two meters in, a, in length, but it's it's packaged tightly, tightly inside each cell in your body in, in a space of something like 10 microns, which is it's just a really, really small area. And the things that regulate when certain genes are expressed, when they're needed to be expressed at certain points in development or certain points in, in, in kind of just your everyday life appears to be really connected to this packaging. So I'm not particularly studying one specific molecule, but I'm more studying the mechanisms that regulate how your genome is, is compartmentalized inside your nucleus and the mechanisms that allow genes to be expressed uh, at certain points in time. Very cool. And I know too, obviously, 
research in grad school is really, really important, but I, I also know that you're really interested in science communication. So what inspired you to be interested in that? Right. Yeah. So I've been broadly uh, interested and involved in science communication for something like the past six years. That kind of interest and, and frankly, just love for science communication really began as a result of, of being the only scientist in my family. And obviously, I love science, right? I'm in grad school. But if I wanted to talk about the things that I were learning or, or, or things that I was interested in with my family, who all happen to be journalists, um, I had to break down the science from these really complex, fascinating topics, cutting-edge research, into like the simplest terms that I could find. Yeah, that's a that's a big introduction if, if most of your family is journalists, because I feel like the the pinnacle of science communication is scientists trying to talk about their research to journalists who are trying to share it with the public. Like that's like the the typical pipeline. Yeah. <laughs> so being a biology researcher and someone who's also interested in science communication We've obviously seen the general public start to care a lot more about biology topics during the time of COVID-19. So what has that been like to see everyone like suddenly, you know, trying to get information about, about these things? And, and how has your interest in science communication changed as a result of all of this? Yeah, so obviously the COVID-19 pandemic has, has been this massive world-changing crisis. But one of the things that has been really interesting, exactly as you said, is, is simply science has become the forefront of, of every conversation, right? It, it, it went from something that barely anyone talks about or maybe only select circles to everyday over-the-table conversation. You know, what vaccine are you getting? Oh, have you heard about these news? So on, on one hand, I think one of the big positives of this pandemic is the fact that science has gained this spotlight, but it's it's also been quite frustrating because it, it's exposed, I think, a lot of flaws in the way that science is communicated and the way this the kind of the general public absorbs cutting edge science research. Um, so it's 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 been a bit of a mixed bag. I'll, I'll be honest. Yeah, what have your main frustrations been in in seeing how people have been getting their information and reacting to different science information? Right. It's. It's been interesting in the way that, in, in, in how people handle this information, right? When most people, the last time most people kind of took an active science class was in, in kind of their primary education, right? Maybe high school science classes in which everything that you're taught in science is taught as a fact, right? This is 100% true. This is how science works. The difference between kind of textbook science and the science is being kind of communicated now during the, the COVID-19 pandemic is that often the science is communicated now is very, very cutting edge. And the thing about cutting edge science is that it changes all the time. Yeah, that's such a great point. Like most, most people who aren't in science think of science as fact and they don't think of it as this like constantly evolving thing. So if people aren't thinking that way, what problems does that cause in, in the age of COVID-19? Exactly. So, I mean, I think it's, it's there's some very obvious examples of, of the way that this has become an issue. 
um, particularly in the early pandemic when you know we first encountered this uh, this this virus and we didn't know how to deal with it. For example, the the, the guidance on masks, which which is often brought up, we didn't have a particularly clear understanding of the usefulness of masks or if they worked or how they worked or what were the guidelines that people had to follow until maybe, I want to say maybe four or five months into the pandemic. So this just ever constant changing flow of information is ripe to, to bring arguments in, in, and, and questioning of the official guidelines that get released, right? Because people say, well, you said this four months ago, but now you're saying this, you know, how can that be possible? When really science is, as you said, it's ever evolving. It's, it's a constant conversation of trying to discover what is true and what isn't. Yeah, so looking at the people around you and how they've been trying to interpret all this news related to COVID-19, what do you feel like people are doing right about getting their information? And what do you think they're doing wrong? One thing that I absolutely want to encourage, and I'm, I'm really happy to see, is people critically thinking about what's going on around them? Is, is people questioning what's going on? So I think, I think that's fantastic, and I think that should be something that continues after the COVID-19 pandemic. But I, one thing that people need to be really, really careful about is if you're questioning your sources and, and you're, you're going after your own sources of information, you have to have the necessary training or method of evaluating the source, right? How do you know that the information that you're receiving is true? And how do you know that the information you're reading isn't? And it's just maybe someone expressing an opinion that doesn't have um, a lot of backing to it. Yeah, so you've already stated kind of two main problems, right? The public doesn't understand perhaps that, that science is always evolving and that they don't maybe always know how to evaluate the credibility of certain sources. So. If you were to, to design some perfect world or perfect solution to all of this, how do you, how do you think we should tackle these problems of, of this lack of understanding? Right. So it's a big issue. I think you can break down this, this, this kind of big, complex topic into what I believe are, are, are roughly three areas. Which, which I think have been highlighted by the pandemic and, and have an opportunity to be solved in, in, the, in the next few years. I think the first one um, kind of really comes down to the way that science is communicated. Oftentimes, science is primarily communicated through research papers, right? And as I'm sure anyone who's involved in academia, any grad student or maybe um, postdoc or PI know, it's like research papers are incredibly dense and they're full of jargon, and people have to learn how to read them and how to understand them and how to critically evaluate them. I mean, that's what grad school's for. That's one thing that I'm still learning how to do. So this dissemination of information from research papers to kind of mainstream journalism is really rough. Often kind of the latest research papers are just thrown out in a quick, in a quick news article of just the headline of new study says so-and-so causes so-and-so. But really, this research paper, if, if it's just come out, it, there's every chance that it's going to get disproved in, you know, in five years. Or it's difficult for someone who's, who hasn't been through this kind of training to evaluate research papers to, to really filter out, okay, how trustworthy 
is this study? Are the experiments valid? Are the methodologies good? So there's this definite, what I perceive to be a gap between the kind of academia and, and the research output and the way that it's effectively communicated to audiences. Now, don't get me wrong, there's a lot of fantastic science communication research going on, but oftentimes it's, it's, it's competing against a lot of not so great science communication. What do you recommend that, you know, when grad students like us or other fellow early career researchers in the sciences are, are talking to other people about COVID-19 or, or even their own research to some extent, like, what do you recommend that we do as individuals to try and bridge that gap, like you called it? Like any other skill, it's just practice, right? Get involved in as much science communication as possible. Talk to people about your research, but practice doing it in a way that anyone can understand. You know, cut out the jargon. Focus on, on the overall big picture idea, not so much on the, on the nitty-gritty details of this protein works, but this one doesn't, or um, thing, things like that. It's just get involved, get interested. It's, science doesn't happen in a vacuum. Why do you think it's important for the general public to be really informed about all of the details of this biology research and everything that's going on, especially during COVID-19, as opposed to maybe just like stating, you know, the results and, and just giving out the medical treatments. Like why, why is it important for everyone to kind of be in the know? As you mentioned, maybe right now evaluating science is, is probably a little bit more uh, relevant, right? Um, with all these kind of treatments coming out and, and new guidelines on, on pandemic safety. It's, it's good that people are questioning science, and obviously it's it's imperative that that science is communicated effectively, but science is, is always present, right? Like research always continues, pandemic or no pandemic, and, and this research has tangible effects on society. You know, new treatments that come out, it's policy on, on, on regulations, on climate change, I think if one thing comes out of this pandemic is I really hope that people have a continued interest in science because it affects their lives in, in, a, in a number of ways that maybe they don't even realize. And, and another thing that I think is really interesting, too, when we talk about the public's understanding of science and all these COVID-19 related topics is... You know, if, if we fill people in, I guess I guess there's a little bit of a, a debate in my brain. Do we fill people in enough with the facts and risk kind of losing some people because we have either too much detail or we're being, you know, everything's changing, so it just becomes a lot? Or do we not fill people in too much but then risk losing the trust because they don't understand the process. What's your take on like kind of striking that balance? Right, so that's really the, one of the biggest difficulties in, in kind of effective science communication, right? Is it's exactly, so it's, it's, it's a balance between really, really detailed, sometimes just inaccessible information and oversimplifications, right? It's too basic and you just, people have to just trust that what you're saying makes sense. Yeah, I mean, that's, I think that's one of the big difficulties that, uh, that we face in this pandemic is that sometimes that trust to just believe what someone is telling you isn't there. 
and 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 sometimes people don't have access to to the really detailed information that maybe would convince them that what is being said is true. So you know, I think it's it's imperative that you maintain the trust, you build trust, and and you take a step back whenever you're communicating this research and be okay. What's the big idea that I'm trying to convey here? You know, forget about the pathways, forget about the specific mechanisms. You know, what's the big idea, and what's the data that supports that idea and that idea only? The most effective science communication is is a story, right? It's a story of of, of research of working your way towards the truth, and people like stories. It's a good way of explaining things. Yeah, for sure. That that's a good point. So, so thinking more about this idea of trust, obviously public trust in science has been something that we're starting to think way more about in COVID-19, but also at, during the age of all, a lot of other like science crises, like climate change and whatnot. How do you build trust when you communicate science? I mean, trust is just is something that comes over time there's i i don't know if there's any quick shortcut to to building trust is people trust the people that have proved time and time again that they're not lying which i think i think is why it's so critical that as many scientists as possible start engaging in effective public science communication is people are much more likely to trust their friends their families their neighbors than someone in the institute that they've never heard about before, but is just featured on the news because of their position. Yeah, I like the point that you're making there, that trust is not something that each of us as individuals have a lot of control over, but if we're all working together toward it, obviously it makes a, a far greater difference in someone's eyes. So yeah, I like I like that idea of like, we need to humanize science is a word that I really like to use. I hope that everyone can think of a scientist in their brain as someone that they know or someone that they trust, you know, in real life. And, and that helps kind of build the relationships a little bit more. I like that a lot. So thinking more about trust, I, I it, it's especially timely to talk about trust now that the vaccines are, are rolling out a little bit more and we've kind of seen the public's reaction to to the vaccines and all the technologies and testing to some extent and all these different things that are coming out because of COVID-19. What is your take on like how to combat things like vaccine hesitancy or just blatant distrust and what's going on and how we tackle COVID-19. You, know, you know, I think I think there's there's two primary forms of vaccine hesitancy. One comes from misunderstanding and, and misinformation. Um, and the other one is, is more justified vaccine hesitancy, right? Particularly from marginalized groups that maybe don't have a great relationship with um, with institutions that maybe have been taken advantage of. In, in, in kind of previous vaccine campaigns. I think it's really critical to really effectively communicate both the safety of the vaccines, express that just because this is the fastest we've ever developed a vaccine doesn't mean that we've cut corners in, in terms of safety, and also express why it's so important for everyone to get vaccinated. 
don't just think of okay if i get vaccinated i'll be i'll be protected from the virus but again take a step back and look at how your actions build on the community right because that's what vaccines are they're yes they protect the individual but a second perhaps more important role is that they protect the community that you're living in and a lot of science communication efforts especially the ones that are are related to covid-19 and the vaccines that are coming out they might only be reaching people who are looking for the information in the first place so i always worry about people who are either getting their information from very very different sources maybe misinformed sources or just are very ignorant on certain topics how do we perform good science communication that also reaches those people as well that that's another one of the big difficulties in communicating science is often people aren't all that interested in, in talking to you about it i think i think the only way to really kind of broach that issue is is be persistent be persistent and polite and respectful of kind of of people's hesitancy to to discuss these topics with you try to understand where their distrust comes from try to be prepared in answering any and all questions that they might have and and kind of i think almost most importantly is go talk to people who disagree with you it's don't stay within you know uh, your community i mean i can go and talk to people at you know at the at the at the university about science and of course they'll listen to me because it's we're all in an academic environment but there's no guarantee that that'll happen if i go to my local community center and start talking to people there but it might be uncomfortable but you're all also more likely to find someone there whose mind can be changed rather than just an echo chamber yeah that's that's such a great point we're so used to sometimes just like staying within our own with our within our own circle so that's a good reminder and you've touched on this a little bit already but i kind of want to get your take one more time what do you hope people will either remember about biology or change about their the ways that they get their science information in general just after covid-19 yeah i think you know if, if there's one thing that i want people to take away from kind of the the novel importance that the the you know society has placed on on cutting edge research is just remember that science is is a evolving story right science is a conversation just because one paper says something does not mean that it's 100% true learn how science works and and make sure that you ingest it with with a pinch of salt it's it might always change yeah i would agree with that too appreciating science as a process i think is is another yeah. good way of putting it so if if me and everybody listening to this episode were to understand you know one thing about science communication and COVID-19 and these things that we've been talking about, what would you want to spotlight? Avoid using fancy words. Try to explain it as you would to your nine-year-old brother. As simple as possible with the biggest story that you can, that you can 
um, towel. Great advice. So thank you so much again, Nicholas, for, for answering all of these like very big questions that I've been asking you. You've been doing a great job. So if, if people are interested in, in hearing more from you and what you have to say, is there a way that they can learn more or contact you? Yeah, uh, absolutely. It's, uh, they can find me on Twitter. It's, it's science Twitter. Um, it's at Nick Scrutton. Uh, so at NIC underscore S-C-R-U-T-T-O-N. Awesome. And thank you again so much. This has been a really good conversation and, and very good to like hear a, a scientist's perspective, especially somebody who's in biology, their take on the whole COVID-19, how people are getting information situation. <laughs> Absolutely. No, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. And listeners, thank you as well for tuning in today. I want to remind all of you to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. I know it seems really silly and everyone tells you to do it, but it really does make a big difference in getting this podcast out to a broader audience. And if you want to connect with us on social media, just like Nick, I would highly recommend Twitter. You can find this podcast on Twitter at SpotlightThePod. And this podcast was brought to you by Northwestern University's Science Policy Outreach Task Force, or SPOT. And you can learn more about SPOT at our website, spot.northwestern.edu, or on Twitter at SPOTForceNU. And finally, I just want to give a big, big shout out to the podcast team at SPOT who is helping me put this on. This episode and all of the other episodes that you've listened to so far would not be possible without the hard work in editing and production by Rai Greer and Bang Bang Triad Mojo. 